Well, good morning. We're continuing our series this morning through the book of Colossians. And if you haven't been with us, Paul has gotten a, a concerning report about this church in Colossae. And this church has been unsettled, we've been talking about, by the rise of false teaching, which this false teaching was suggesting that the Colossians needed something more than the gospel that they were taught, something more than Christ for spiritual fullness. And so Paul has been refuting this. And this week, because there's now competing visions for what the church should be about, Paul is compelled to give his answer for what the church should be about. So it's like if you were just handed the title deed to the old family farm. You receive it, and it's yours. But the question is, what do you do with it? Well, the voice of the false teachers in Colossae would have sounded something like this. Oh, that old farm? It's nice, I guess, but what you really ought to do is sell it and then take that money and invest it over here, and then you'll, you'll be truly wealthy and happy. But Paul's voice in our text sounds something more like this. That title deed is all you need. Because what's true of that piece of property, what's true of what's underneath that land, is that underneath it there's a massive oil reserve. So you already have access to untold riches. It's already yours. Just drill down and make use of what's rightfully yours. Don't sell it. That's what Paul is saying. So Paul contends for their sake and for our sake today that the church should be about this glorious struggle to broadcast and to realize more and more the inexhaustible wealth that's in knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let's now pray together as we consider God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to, to gather together to open up your Word. We pray that you would help us by the ministry of your Spirit, to see Christ. Uh, we pray that for some that might be the first time to, to have our faith uh, born again. We pray for others that you would continue to deepen our faith and show us more of Christ that we might mature in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. C.S. Lewis famously said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in the world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The deepest longings of the human heart aren't satisfied with the best of what the world has to offer us. So he concludes we're made for another world. And Genesis 2 shows us that we were made for nothing short than to be in the presence of God. There in Genesis 2, in the Garden of Eden, God's presence was with Adam and Eve, walking with them in the cool of the day. This was life as it was meant to be. But when Adam sinned and turned away from God and his word and his presence, something terrible happened. God had to exile them from his presence. Because you see, his, God's presence is so good, it's so pure, it's so holy that it's, it's kind of like light. And light can't help but to dispel darkness. So in the same way, God's presence is so pure that it can't help but to dispel evil. And so rather than destroying us because of the evil that's now in our hearts, the sin that's now in our hearts, he removes us from his presence. But the good news that our text announce, announces to us this morning is that God has revealed something that was once previously hidden, but he's gone public with it now. Verse 27 that we just read said the mystery, this is the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was hidden in ages past, but it was actually there in plain sight all along. Because though mankind was exiled from God, from God's presence, God did not abandon his people. In the Old Testament, we see several places where his presence shows up. Places like the burning bush, the tabernacle, the temple. They were pictures of God drawing near to even sinful people and dwelling among his people. It was all foreshadowing this great mystery that our text says is Christ, Christ in you. That God himself would draw near to sinners and his presence would dwell among us bodily. That's, that's the story of Jesus. Yet surprisingly, we see Jesus, after living a perfect life of love, get nailed to a cross. And we hear him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he say this? It's, it's the beautiful mystery that our Lord and our God is so identifying with his people. He's so identifying with you and all your sin that he's treated like you on the cross. That there he actually lost the good, perfect presence of God's blessing that he had enjoyed from eternity past and was given the presence of God's curse, his displeasure for all of sin. And so he lost the presence of God on the cross so that you would be admitted back into the presence of God so that through faith in him, you'd be forgiven, you'd be restored, you'd be adopted through his blood, and that you'd not only be welcomed into his presence, but that God's presence, this is the mystery, God's presence would actually, through faith in Christ, dwell in you and be with you. 
This is the glorious mystery of Christ in you that Paul is revealing here. And that he says that God himself is excited to publish to the whole world. The good news that God, through his church, wants to broadcast to the world. So this news that we just talked about is worth the struggle to get out. It's worth the struggle to realize more and more for, in our own hearts. And the vision for the future of the church is not to follow the shifting winds of whatever the culture deems is important. It's to faithfully pro- proclaim the word of God about Christ that Christ's church might be gathered and perfected in this world. And so the main point I want us to consider in our time together this morning is this. Christ proclaimed forms Christ in you. Christ proclaimed forms Christ in you. So this endeavor to proclaim Christ that Paul's talking about comes with challenges that Paul's very straightforward about. So we want to look at first the struggle of gospel ministry Next, the struggle of gospel maturity. And third, the strength for the struggle. So first, let's consider the struggle of gospel ministry. Look again with me in verses 24 and 25. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Paul is saying by way of personal example that we should rejoice to suffer for Christ's sake to publish his salvation. That we should rejoice to take on the struggle of gospel ministry. So ask the question, what what is gospel ministry? Paul says it in verse 25, it's to make the word of God fully known. Gospel ministry is broadcasting, making fully known God's Word, which is the Bible. And so the ministry of Christ's church on this earth is to always be biblical. The minute a church exalts a cultural fad over the timeless truths of the Bible, that's the beginning of the end for that church. That church may become popular, it may, be, may swell with numbers, but it's only going to last as long as that fad lasts, and then it will be irrelevant. But the true church that clings to the Word of God endures, not because it's so cool, but because the truths are timeless, eternal, and always speaking into our lives and into our culture. But notice, gospel ministry is is not just broadcasting biblical information or biblical morals or principles. It's more than that. It's opening, it's opening up God's Word and seeing that it's most deeply about Jesus Christ. That He's the main character, no matter what page you're on. He is, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, the missing puzzle piece that brings everything together. Make, makes it all make sense. He's the story. He's, every story whispers His name. He's the true and better Adam. He's the true king, the true temple the true sacrifice. Gospel ministry isn't ministry unless it's about Jesus. So we got to think about this. There's a way to read the Bible. There's a way to preach a sermon on the Bible as if it's all about you, how to be a good little boy or girl so that God will like you. 
What are some biblical principles to learn and try to implement? But that's not the gospel. That's you trying to be your own savior. And that will never change your heart. So only when you see that God's big story is about Jesus becoming your savior, only that has the power to change your heart. So you see, he's the mystery God is excited to reveal everywhere. So that's gospel ministry, but why is it a struggle? It's a struggle because the world is resistant to the gospel. That's the first reason. The second reason is personally costly. So we want to be our own saviors, but the message of the gospel offends our pride. It says to us the only way for you to be saved is through the death of the Son of God. And that's humbling, and we don't want to hear that. And to take the gospel message to the world means that we are, that, that's costly. We are exposing ourselves to all kinds of backlash on account of that message. So this is why Paul says he rejoices to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So we need to be careful with this, how Paul just phrased that. Paul is not saying that there is any lack in the sufferings of Christ in terms of his atonement and salvation accomplished for us on the cross. To suggest that would be totally inconsistent with everything Paul has already said, and that would have played right into the logic of the false teachers in Colossae, which he had, has been adamantly refuting from the outset. So he's not saying that. There's no lack in what Christ has suffered for his people on the cross. But what is lacking is that his body, the church, those for whom he died, what's what's lacking is that they might hear that word proclaimed, that they might hear it, that they might believe on it, and they might be incorporated into the body of Christ. And for that to happen, Paul is saying, Christ's body must suffer to take it to them, to proclaim it, to bear the reproach that comes with proclaiming that word. Uh, Years ago, I went on a Filter of Hope trip with a group of college students to the Dominican Republic. And we were in a remote area distributing these water filters and sharing the gospel. And it was the end of a long day in the tropical sun. Uh, We had passed out a lot of filters. And we had one house left, and it was at the top of a very tall hill. And we were considering it, and we were starting to groan. That's a really long hike. And then we discovered that Actually, it's at the top of a hill, and you need to go down a steep hill, cross a creek, and go all the way back up the hill again. And so we were groaning at the thought of it, but providentially, um, someone in their devotional that morning read Colossians, this very passage that Paul just wrote. Um, And we were reminded of this truth that Christ had already done the hard part. He had already died for our sins. And so all that was left for us to do was to suffer to take the gospel to people. And so this thought pumped us up. We were like, bring it on. All that's lacking for Christ's afflictions for his church is that the church would suffer to take the gospel to him. And so we go down the hill. We cross the creek. We go up the hill. We show up stinky, exhausted. And we give them the water filter. And we shared the gospel. And... They flatly rejected it. Um, So, um, a bit disappointing, but even so, we could still rejoice with Paul that it was worth 
the undertaking. It's worth the undertaking of suffering for the potential of an eternal soul to hear the good news about Jesus Christ, to place their faith on him, and to be united with him to forever. It was worth it. And so let me ask you, are you in this struggle of gospel ministry? Are you in this struggle of gospel ministry? And what I don't mean is, are you selling everything and moving to the mission field? I don't mean, are you quitting your job and joining the church staff? I mean, are, are you moved to compassion for those who are in the dark about Christ, both near and far? Would you rejoice at the opportunity to point a friend for the reason for the hope that's within you? And even if you fumbled your words in pointing to Jesus, you can always do this. You can always bring them to church because week after week, this church is committed to opening up God's word and holding up the wondrous mystery, which is Christ. Because you see, Christ's proclaim forms Christ in you. But gospel proclamation isn't just the way we come in to the kingdom. It isn't just the way we uh, are born again into new life. It's also the way we mature in Christ, that we grow in Christ. That leads us to our second point, which is the struggle, for gospel, the struggle of gospel maturity. Look with me again in verse 28. Paul says, Him, being Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul is saying that the ministry of the word proclaiming Christ not only gathers the saints, but it perfects the saints. It, it builds up our maturity in Christ. Or to put it another way, as one pastor put it, Paul is trying to do, is trying to take the truth of what he said in, in verses 15 through 20, which you know, exalted our supreme Lord. is Lord of the cosmos. He's our sufficient Savior. He's trying to take that truth and make it true in your heart. That he's not only the Lord, supreme Lord of the cosmos, but he's the supreme Lord in your heart. That's what growth and maturity is. He's becoming more and more precious to you, more and more supreme in your heart. And this only comes through beholding Christ again and again as he's revealed in the scriptures. So why is gospel maturity so hard? Why is it so hard? The moment you understood the grace of God in Jesus Christ in the gospel, Jesus took residence in your life. And that's, a wonderful, that's the wonderful reality of Christ in you. That's when that became true. And that's a very good thing. But it's also the beginning of a lifelong struggle that's going to take the rest of your life. It's a struggle between your old nature and your new nature in Christ. It's a struggle between your old selfishness and your new nature, which out of the abundance of discovering the inexhaustible life that's in Christ... It now seeks to, to imitate Christ in all things. Or to put it with this way, gospel ministry is hard in the same way that getting the flu or getting the stomach bug is hard. So what happens in that case? The virus enters your system, and it's quickly multiplying, and if it's undetected, it could kill you. But your body detects it, thankfully, and then kicks off the battle. And so from your perspective, you are feeling just fine, just normal. And then all of a sudden, you feel terrible. You feel awful. Your internal temperature shoots up. Your body starts rejecting everything you ate. And that's a terrible personal experience, right? You want, you want it to stop. You feel like you're dying. But what's really going on inside? 
your body is killing the virus. It, the virus can't incubate anymore in your digestive system. It can't survive in the elevated temperature. Your body is doing an amazing thing. It's being victorious. Yet at the same exact time, you might feel miserable. So this is a picture of gospel maturity. Isn't that encouraging? Uh, because Christ, Christ in you, because he's in you, your body finally recognizes the virus of sin. And the battle kicks off. And so this is why if you ever get coffee with a mature Christian believer and you share your struggles and your frustrations and your failures in the Christian life, that mature believer can kind of sit back and hear your turmoil and hear your struggle and actually say something like, I'm actually deeply encouraged by what I'm hearing because this is proof that Christ is in you. Otherwise, you wouldn't care at all about this sin in your life. But because you're seeking to put it to death, because there's a struggle, because there's this frustration with remaining sin, it's proof that Christ is in you. His presence is, is in you, and it's progressively dispelling the evil that's there, and it's progressively healing what's broken there. And so, is this you? Are, are you discouraged by your growth and maturity in Christ? If that's you, then take heart. If you believe in Jesus, he is in you, and he's fighting with you, and he will get the ultimate victory. Paul continues in verse 4, and he mentions another struggle for our maturity. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So this is Paul's first outright reference to the false teachers in Colossae. He says they're eloquent in speech. They're, they craft plausible arguments. They're entertaining to listen to, but they're false. They essentially say, look, Jesus is great, but, if, but what you really need for life is blank. Fill in the blank. And that blank could be a lot of things. And let me just ask, what is it for you? What is that blank? It could be a very good thing. It could be consistent quiet times. It could be your kids succeeding. It could be your career succeeding. But any good thing that's elevated and exalted to an ultimate thing ultimately turns into a bad thing, a thing that can't sustain you and can't give you life. And so that's why Paul keeps waving, waving us back to Christ. So look with me again in verses 2 and 3. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's saying something very simple, very profound. In Christ, every believer has full access to the riches of full assurance of Christ's love. And he also says, in Christ, every believer has access to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him. So he's saying, if you're a believer, you have an all-access pass. All-access passes to assurance and wisdom in Christ. So let's think first about assurance. Um, because you have all assurance in Christ, you never have to wonder anymore where you stand with God. All assurance is available to you in Christ. So when you feel condemned, you can look to Christ and see again at the cross. You can look again at his blood, at the empty tomb, and you can know that he has been condemned in your place. 
and you can see his, him resurrected and at the right hand of God, and you can know that that's where you're headed to. Or think about wisdom. In Christ, we have all wisdom. So you may have difficult circumstances before you in your life, but how do you choose which course of action might be the best one? That, that's wisdom. And Paul's saying, in Christ, all wisdom is yours. So when you look to Christ, when you rejoice in Christ, when you see him in his word, when you receive godly counsel from mature believers who also delight in Christ, like, that, that helps us. It's not like you, you get, like, an, a magic answer from a magic eight ball telling you what to do if you do all those things. But it's, it's saying this, as you seek to know Christ more intimately, you'll become better and better at doing and choosing Choosing to do the things that bring him glory and accomplish the most good. He's saying, in Christ we have all treasures, access to all the treasures of wisdom. So this is why, this is why we gather together each week and sit under the preaching of God's word about Christ from all scriptures. We want God's word to shape you and to form Christ in you more and more. Because we, this truth holds. Christ proclaimed forms Christ in you. So Paul's been very clear about the struggle of gospel ministry, and he's been clear about the struggle of maturity. But where do we get the power? Where do we get the strength to carry all this out? Uh, Brings us to our last point, the strength for the struggle. Look with me again in verse 29. Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Here's what Paul's getting at. Christ in you empowers you to serve him. Christ in you empowers you to take up this glorious struggle of gospel ministry and gospel maturity. And did you notice that Paul didn't say, for this I toil, but only when I feel that my tank is, you know, filled up and overflowing. Or he doesn't say, for this I toil, but now's really not a convenient season in my life. He says, no, for this I toil, struggling. It's a struggle. It's not a moonwalk. It's hard. And, but Paul points to the beauty of the reality of Christ in you, that as you struggle for his sake, you struggle not with your energy, but with all his energy that he powerfully works within you. And Paul can say elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he says that he worked harder than any apostle, Though it was not him, but the grace of God within him. The grace of God at work within him. So Paul's saying he did not experience the power of God to alleviate his circumstances. He did not receive the power of God to turn discomfort into comfort, to avoid suffering. He experienced the powerful inner working of Christ to toil, to endure, to overcome, to triumph through whatever opportunity to serve Christ was before him. So I'm not suggesting that you overwork yourself to where you ignore the limits of your own humanity. I'm not suggesting that you ignore God's good commandment of rest. And I'm not saying that you should assume that you take the role of Jesus to to change somebody's life. You just point to Jesus. But when we take steps of faith to serve Christ with joy, we can trust that he will supply our every need to faithfully serve him. So There's one aspect, as we close, of God's mystery that we haven't looked at yet, and that's 
in verse 27, where he says, The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, we've talked about before, in our growth, in our maturity, we become more and more like Christ, who was willing to stoop down and take on flesh and to suffer for our sake on the cross. And so, becoming more and, like, more, and more like Christ means that we resemble his body of suffering as we mature. Yet Christ in you is also the hope of glory. Christ in you is the guarantee for your future presence with him forever in glory. Christ in you is the surety that he will never leave you or forsake you. He is the title deed that you will possess eternal life. And that just as you are becoming more and more like him in his incarnation, you're going to be made more and more like him in his glory. And there's one day you're going to be like him in glory, spotless, radiant, without blemish, finally rid, like can you anticipate that moment, finally rid of all that selfishness, all that sin that's within us, fully empowered to do what is good and right and true and loving forever. That's your hope of glory. It's, it's in you now and it will never die. And so though, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, though our outer body is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So what's this mean for us? What's this mean for you? If you get an opportunity to serve Christ, to serve the church, whether it's I don't know, something like nursery duty or pointing a friend to the mystery revealed in Christ or getting me going to the mission field. Um, it's going to be a struggle, Paul says. It's going to be a form of suffering. But let's just apply Nike's slogan. Just do it. If, if, I, if an opportunity presents itself to serve Christ, to serve the church, just take it. One of the characters... I think one of the characters in the Chronicles of Narnia series uh, said it best. Um, the good guys, it was a situation where the good guys were outnumbered by the bad guys. Um, things were not looking grim, not looking good. Um, and the only choice was just to stand and fight and hope for the best. And so one of the characters says, let's take the adventure that Aslan gives us. Let's take the adventure Aslan gives. And so let's take the adventure that Jesus gives us. Yes, we're weak and frail. Yes, you're weak and frail, but you're never outnumbered. The king of the cosmos dwells within you to will and to work his good pleasure. He will supply your every need. He will powerfully work within you when you feel that you have no strength. So take the adventure that Jesus gives and be assured that Christ proclaimed forms Christ in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry of your word. We thank you that as your word is proclaimed, a light um, shines in the darkness and you point us to Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to write your truths on our hearts, that we might trust you more and we might treasure you more. And we pray that as we get opportunities to serve, that we would take them and we'd look to you, uh, not look to our own strength, but look to your strength to do that which is good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.